Thanks. Well, um, good morning. How are we this morning? I guess I'll take that as good. Um, If you're visiting Canary Gardens, a very special welcome to you again. Uh, We as a church have been deliberately taking our time through a little letter called Ephesians. Uh, We've been pausing uh, and um, being quite slow about it, and so we're up to chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. So if you have a Bible, we'd love for you to turn there, press there, slide there, whatever way you read your Bible these days, to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 9. If you don't have a Bible at all, uh, we would love for you to take one. It's our gift to you. Uh, We'd love for you to keep it. Uh, If you're visiting Canterbury and you're someone who has either been dragged along to church or uh, you feel like you want to explore this Christian faith or you might be even really skeptical sin uh, still, we're really glad that you made the time to come this morning. We pray that you will continue to be encouraged, but also you will encounter Jesus Christ. Uh, So Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1, and we're going to stop at verse 9. Here is God's word. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which once you walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we also once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and and by nature, children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. Through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. A result of work, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to come before your throne. We bow our hearts at your feet. God, some of these messages this morning are very familiar to many of us, and some it may be new or hearing it for the first time. Wherever we are at, We ask that you would continue to meet with us as we continue this time of worship. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts, stir our affections to gaze on Jesus. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, through you and through you alone, for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, the big idea of this sermon is simple. I want us to consider a truth that has been known for a long time. But God. But God. Now, I don't know if you love music. I love music. I love listening to new songs. I love hearing what's on uh, in the radio these days and what's number one. Uh, now, with no- songs that are always kind of charted as number one, it doesn't take long before they're no longer number one because it's replaced by something else. But then there are those songs that, through the test of time, through different cultures, through different seasons, no matter what year it is, 
transcends all those things. I'm a bit of a soul music fan. So anything written by Stevie Wonder, and if you don't know who Stevie Wonder is, please come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to pray for you. Um, Transcends all the time. You listen to a Stevie Wonder song, no matter what age you're in, it really get you know, whether if you're young or old, it sort of stirs something in you. I know I'm talking to a lot of Aussies here, so in excess, Jimmy Barnes, whatever your flavor is. But some of these songs transcend time. You, they play it now, and you see young people hearing it like it's the first time they've ever heard such amazing music. And those of us of a certain age look back and go, I was there at that concert. Now, for those of us who might have grown up in a Christian culture, and that's fine, there may be songs that really transcend all the time. There are classics written by people like Keith Green. And you sing again, and it stirs something in you. And there's the hymn, Amazing Grace, that we all know, and it's been redone over and over again. Some of us like it because it's a classic hymn. But it actually points to a greater, bigger story. But God. But God. So this letter that we've been exploring is to a church or a group of people who have experienced about this wonderful truth of but God. You want to hear a bit about their history, you just need to flick across to Acts, in Acts 18, 19, 20. You hear the stories of how these people in this, this church in Ephesus came to Christ, came to follow Jesus. They encountered the wonderful, powerful message of the gospel and their lives were transformed. I mean, there are stories of people uh, practicing witchcraft and they come and they bring their books to burn because the gospel has encountered their soul. Their story is so powerful that the very fabric of that city was in upheaval. There were people who created idols to the idol of Artemis and they were so angry that these people were turning away to this new faith, this new religion, because their hearts were captured by this message of but God. Last week we explored this Christ-centered prayer of how Paul is encouraging this church. And this morning, it's like we're exploring again what, what Paul is doing. He's reminding them again of this wonderful reality of but God. He's reminding them of truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what he does, he wants to take them back on a bit of a trip down memory lane by making them look at their past life, who they were once. You see that in verses 1 to 3. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which once you walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Paul is saying, Ephesian church, your past life looked like this. You were dead, lifeless, because you were in your hearts violating the perfect commands of the Lord. Your very nature, you were sinning. That's what sin means, ultimately saying to God, I do not want you to be the char- in charge of my life. I'll be my own God. And the language is so strong, is Paul saying, you're a lifeless corpse. No breath, no life in you. 
And that was showed in the way that you lived, in the very nature of your being, whom you both served and whom you both worshipped. Did you see that in verses 2 and 3? You once walked following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work, among whom we also once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, by nature, children of wrath. He unpacks what I would say three things, three influences on the past life of the Ephesian church. They were both slaves to it and they were also worshippers of these things. They were under the influence. Firstly, the world, so that's external things, around in the city of Ephesus, the idol worship, the prostitution, all the things that were going around in that culture. They were under the influence or in worship of the ruler of the kingdom of the air. That's the spiritual reality that's going on behind all of these things. And not only that, it was shown out in the cravings of their flesh. So internally, that was their natural disposition. And the very nature of that in their past life put them and gave them a particular status. A particular position that they were naturally children of the wrath of a holy God. Just like everyone around them. God, a holy God, passed judgment. That judgment was guilty. Their lives were focused on the things that the world was offering. They worshipped the things of the world. And not only that, their allegiance and their very being, whether they're realizing it deliberately or undeliberately, was showing that their allegiance was to someone, described as the prince of the power of the air. Paul is talking about Satan, the evil one. This picture that's given is that Satan's working in the background, influencing the language that's given is in that time there's like heaven, the heaven where God reigns, the earth where people live, and in between is the prince of the air working in the background, trying to influence and infiltrate. And ultimately his one purpose has always been to try to thwart, thwart God's perfect plan and his purposes. When the language that Paul uses is to say... Satan, this prince of the power of the air, is energizing these people that are described as the sons of disobedience. They're trying to oppose God's divine will. I mean, what he's doing is he's contrasting, right? I don't know if you saw, right? In Ephesians 1, what did we talk about? They have a particular position now. They've been adopted. But prior to that, in their past life, they were sons. They were sons of someone. They were someone called the prince of the power of the air, Satan, opposing God. Their very nature, being disobedient. I love Paul's language. Satan is the prince. He is not the king. Because there is only one king. And that was shown in their daily life. He once again says, hey, Ephesians, in your past life, it was displayed in the way that you live and the passions and cravings and desires of your life. It's like saying you worship these things. It was influenced by the idols that you worship, maybe the prostitutes you visited or whatever else, in the very heart, but also the mind. You're under this influence. 
giving in to the cravings of your flesh. Now that paints this picture of why Paul describes them. You were once dead, a corpse, lifeless. So just to not put him aside from himself, to think that he's not one who's out of this, he adds him and says, we all once were. All of us. Under God's divine judgment and wrath. I don't know if you've ever taken someone who's visiting Melbourne in Australia on a bit of a tour, right? And so usually the highlights of the tour, you take them into the city, down the laneways, you might take them out to the Great Ocean Road, and you get them to see the Twelve Apostles. If you've done this tour a few times, you already know what it looks like. But people are seeing it for the first time go, whoa, that's amazing, as the wind's kind of bashing around them and they're holding there, and you're standing there going, okay, we need to go to the next one. Friends, I sometimes wonder, for those of us who know this truth, where we know this gospel, the beauty and the majesty of but God is lost. We quickly move towards grace and we forget about what we were. And the message of the gospel just gets watered down. This idea of but God. But God. And friends, if you are someone who's exploring the Christian faith, I want you to know that the Christian faith is the only faith that will really lay out for you the realities of what, who you are and next to a holy God. It'll give you a real picture about your life. So whether you admit this or realize this or not, you are phys- spiritually dead and Christ is the one who has the answer to that. Not only that, you're under a holy God's righteous wrath. Because in your own heart, as we all have been there at one stage, are rejecting the loving authority of a holy God. But God. I think is one of the most beautiful pieces of literature that has ever been written in human history. We see in verses 4 to 9. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast but God. Paul is saying, this was your past life, but God, but God, who's rich in mercy. And the language, he's constantly emphasizing something. He's powerfully emphasizing something over and over again because of God's great love. This is, most people would say, commentators talk about this idea of it's playing back to Old Testament language, this language of it is God who acts. It is God who does the work. It is God initiation. But God, which he has loved us, even though when we were spiritual corpses, Ephesian church, has breathed life into you. 
and has made you alive because all of his doing. And he says, but by grace you have been saved. It is all God's work. And the display of that is shown in Jesus Christ. The one who came into this world and lived that perfect life. The one who was obedient to death. And because of who he is, as we explored last week, he was risen from the dead. He's brought this truth and reality now into play. And he talks about this position, if you saw that, seated. Raised up and seated with Christ. It's a picture of what is to come for those who are followers of Jesus. What is waiting for them. But just so that they don't misunderstand in some sense. Or as the Ephesian church, to kind of use this kind of, oh, I've got this position and this sort of um, prideful way. See what Paul says in verse 7? The reason why that's been displayed is so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. It's saying you've been given this position. Even that position itself is nothing that you've been done. It's by God in his grace. That moment in turning when that happens, the only reason you have that privilege is displaying God's graciousness, graciousness and kindness to you. Because you are in Jesus. But God, this is His grace. You cannot work for it. It's not earned by your works. It is all by His gracious gift given to you. And just in case they forget, what does he do? He repeats it again. Verses 8 to 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so no one may boast. But God, it is all God. It is God's work. Friends, for those of us who know this, you might have memorized this. You know this verse has the weight and beauty and the power of this become something that's just lost. It's like that moment where you kind of just switch off. Yeah, I know, I've seen that before. It's like that when you go to the Great Ocean Road and see the 12 apostles and you're just like, yeah, I've been here before. I've seen it all. Does the power of the thought, but God in his goodness reached out to you to show grace and mercy so cause your heart and my heart and our heart as a church to worship him. I find it quite interesting that the Apostle Paul is making this mention and who is he writing to? He's writing to a bunch of Christians. He's not doing some sort of evangelistic sermon he's writing to a bunch of Christians and he's reminding them the beauty and power of Jesus and this good gospel I mean in a very practical sense it doesn't make sense sometimes to me why is he doing this it'd be like if I turn up to the Hawthorne football club training ground and I show them how to do the basics of handballing and kicking the footy they'll probably escort me out very quickly But you watch them training. They're constantly going over the fundamentals. It's a constant on repeat. Because it's a reminder. 
He got to know the basics. And this message of the gospel cannot become something that's lost. And I get it. In our practical world, and I don't know if it's the DNA of Aussies, the DNA of the Aussies is to kind of just go, come on, just tell me what I need to do. Give me the, so what? So why does this even matter? Friends, be very careful that you don't jump to show what straight away. We need to remember. I think sometimes we're so quick to jump to the so what, just show me the practical aspect of this, that we forget about the so why. Why? What's the engine room? And then the gospel and grace is lost. And when that happens, sometimes what happens in in our world, in my world, and I've caught myself doing this, we become apathetic to the realities of those who are lost to this. We become complacent. And we think, well, I've got my fire insurance. I've got my ticket to heaven. I'm fine. Or it causes, we lose the wonder and might of it that it may even cause us to become arrogant and impatient with those who do not know this gospel. Because the good news of the gospel is not something, the grace, but of, of idea of God saying, but God himself should cause our hearts to worship continuously through the power of his spirit and through his word. It cannot be something that becomes like a callous, but by his grace should soften our hearts. Oh, Christian friends, but God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved you, even when you were lifeless corpses, has made you alive and now sealed you with his Holy Spirit. And not only that, has given you this adoption and position. And there's a day coming when you will be in eternity with him. And there's a picture of seated with Christ, this wonderful picture. It's like when you go to a wedding and you go to the wedding ceremony, you love it, and then you go to the reception. You go to the reception and you look at your name on the list. You're hoping you're not sitting next to that person. Or when I was single, I hated being put on the singles table. I don't know if that's ever happened. But there's this picture of your name already there. There's a picture of the table already set for you. That seat has been saved for you. It's a wonderful picture of God's grace. By grace, you have been saved. It is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not done through external religious pride work. Paul is writing to some Jews even and even those who were practicing idol worship. There's nothing yet you can do. There's no room for boasting. It is actually by God's gracious gift of grace. It is God's grace that we are called to rest in. But God. But God. The good news of the gospel is that beautiful, classic music that transcends all of culture, all the ages, till the return of Christ when he calls us home and that gospel and message we are called to sing and proclaim and talk about till the day that he either calls us home or till his return but this story has always been God's story but God creates humans 
with his own bare hands and breathes life into them. But God, when the first humans rebelled and said no and gave into sin and temptation, comes into this world and gives them covering. But God sends his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, who has always been a son of obedience, never a son of disobedience. Experience the full wrath of his Father that was stored up for you and for me on that cross. And if you are a follower of Jesus, sing this song continuously to yourself. As Steve reminded us this morning. And you can also rest in knowing this is who you are in Christ. This is who you were, but now this is who you are because of but God. With that as a foundation, here is to the so what because of why. When you head to school this week, when you head to your job site, when you're at home looking after the kids, when you're in your workplace, when you're in that season of retirement life, this truth should shape you to the point that when you see those people who have no idea, do not understand the gospel, rather than seeing them as people who are either annoying or frustrating, see them as people who are currently under the influence of their world, the enemy, and their own flesh, and the very heart and nature they are, the object of God's righteous, holy wrath. And you and I have been sent out in humility to share this because we know what it feels like because that's who we were once. Because of his grace, that's who we are now. Because of his grace alone. So that means we can actually share in humility. We can pray in humility for them and love and care for them because we know if it wasn't apart from but God. If you're someone exploring the Christian faith, can I encourage you to consider these truths? That there is a holy God who created the world. And in this world, he placed the first humans to be under his loving authority. That the first humans rejected and said no to his loving authority, and that's sin. And sin ultimately says, I do not want God in charge of my life. I will do my own thing. But what that does is it separates you from this God. But God, in his grace and mercy, sends his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the perfect one, the obedient one, and dies on the cross on your behalf and my behalf. But the story doesn't end there. He's risen again, and he is now being gracious to you to respond, maybe even today, or talk to the friend who brought you today. Talk to anyone who calls Canterbury home. What was that all about? What is this grace? We'd love for you to experience, because there's a day coming... When Jesus returns, and there will be no but God. So I pray that you will explore these truths. And there are some of us in our Christian faith, you've had a terrible week, and you're constantly struggling, feeling like you're not worthy, or you're not good enough for God. Friends, it's not about you're not good enough. There is someone who's done that for you. A gracious God. God who's been gracious to you in light of that Rest in his assurance in you through his son and his adoption of you. 
Oh, church, may we grow to be a church that constantly sings about this amazing grace, this wonderful truth. But God, rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us. So as we sing this very familiar song, let's sing in worship to our great King and his amazing grace. Let's stand and sing as a church to our wonderful Savior. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved.